Sir, the High Priest Caiaphas and his elders are here to see you. Prefect, good morning. Prefect, we need your help. We have convicted a dangerous criminal. So? Execute him. We cannot. This is a tense time when my people celebrate their deliverance from past oppressors. He claims to be our king and is whipping up the crowds into a rebellion. A rebellion that could tear Jerusalem apart. Caesar would not be pleased. His name... Jesus of Nazareth. The trial of Jesus of Nazareth was completely illegal. At every point it broke the laws of Israel as well as the laws of Rome. It was illegal to conduct a trial at night. It was also against the law to conduct a summary trial without any warning or opportunity for the accused to prepare a defense or seek positive character witnesses. At any trial the accused was to be granted an opportunity to prepare a defense and heralds were to be sent out into the area requiring anyone who knew anything positive about the accused to come forward and testify. There was no opportunity granted for appeal. There was no delay between the arrest and trial, between the trial and verdict, between the verdict and sentencing and between the sentencing and execution. Within less than a 24-hour period Jesus was arrested, tried, condemned, sentenced to death, and executed. This blatantly violated all due process of law. The trial of Jesus was a travesty of justice. It is a terrifying thing to be judged by the mob. Can you imagine being judged by your worst enemies? However, today let us call forth some character witnesses to testify of Jesus. Of course, we could call forth millions of Christians throughout the ages who would eagerly testify to the incomparable goodness and greatness of our Lord and Savior. However, we will call forward only skeptics, and many of them enemies of Christ. Thomas Paine, who was an outspoken opponent of Christianity, still admitted in writing, Jesus Christ was a virtuous and amiable man. For the morality that he preached and practiced was of the most benevolent kind, and while those similar systems of morality have been preached by Confucius and by some of the Greek philosophers many years before, by the Quakers since, and many good men of all ages, it has not been exceeded by any. Even as determined an enemy of Christianity as Charles Darwin, who popularized the theory of evolution, had to concede in an article written for a newspaper in London. They forget, 
or will not remember those who minimize the work of missionaries in pagan countries. They forget or will not remember that human sacrifices and the power of an idolatrous priesthood, a system of profligacy unparalleled in another part of the world, infanticide, a consequence of that system, bloody wars where conquerors spared neither women nor children, that all of these have been abolished in these savage islands, and that dishonesty and intemperance and licentiousness have been greatly reduced by Christianity. In a voyager, to forget these things is base ingratitude. For should he chance to be at the point of shipwreck on some unknown coast, he will most devoutly pray that the lesson of the missionary may have reached thus far. On another occasion, Darwin wrote, The lesson of the missionary is the enchanter's wand. The house has been built, the windows framed, the fields ploughed, and even the trees grafted by the New Zealander. The march of improvement, consequent on the introduction of Christianity throughout the seas, probably stands by itself in the records of history. H.D. Wells who wrote Outlines of History, is best known for his science fiction and filmmaking. However, by profession, he was a historian. Despite being a very outspoken critic of Christianity, H.G. Wells wrote, Jesus of Nazareth is easily the dominant figure in history. I am speaking of him, of course, as a man, for I can see that the historian must treat him as a man, just as the painter must paint him as a man. To assume that he never lived and that the accounts of his life are inventions is more difficult and raises more problems in the path of the historian than to accept the essential elements of the gospel stories as fact. Of course, you and I live in countries where, to millions of men and women, Jesus is more than just a man. But the historian must disregard that fact. He must adhere to the evidence which would pass unchallenged if his book were to be read in every nation under the sun. Now, it is interesting and significant, isn't it, that a historian setting forth in that spirit without any theological bias whatsoever should find that he simply cannot portray the progress of humanity honestly without giving the foremost place to a penniless teacher from Nazareth. The final hostile witness which I'd like to call to testify of Christ is the brilliant and volatile journalist and writer H. L. Mencken. Mencken dipped his pen in acid whenever it came to writing on Christianity. In his work Treaties on the Gods, Mencken declared, This historicity of Jesus is no longer questioned seriously by anyone, whether Christian or unbeliever. The main facts about him seem to be beyond dispute. It is not easy to account for his singular and stupendous success. How did it come about that one who in his life had only the bitter cup of contumely to drink should have lifted himself in death to such vast esteem and circumstance, such incomparable and world-shaking power and renown? It seems to be certain that many persons saw him after his supposed death on the cross, including not a few who were violently disinclined to believe in his resurrection. Upon that theory, the most civilized sections of the human race have erected a structure and practices so vast in scope and so powerful in effect that the whole range of history shows nothing parallel. So here we have the testimonies of some famous skeptics. 
they all rejected Christianity. Yet they all had to acknowledge that Jesus Christ was the greatest person to ever walk the earth. His impact on history and the Bible's contribution to life and civilization are incomparable. The verdict of these skeptics is unanimous. This one who was born in obscurity, who lived in poverty, who died in agony, became the most important and positive influence in the history of the world. No one has influenced the world for the good more than Jesus Christ. You're listening to Like Flint Radio, part of the Revelations Radio Network. Well, welcome to Like Flint Radio. This is our Easter special. I'm your host, GK. I'm coming to you live from my bush hut studio in the deep south of Queensland. With me, I have my three co-hosts on Like Flint Radio, and I'm going to introduce you to them now. First up, we have the guy who has been called Cape Town's most eligible bachelor, the one, the only, Cruz.Ada. Good morning, Cruzy. Morning, morning, Chica. That guy couldn't make it, so I took his place now. The eligible bachelor, but I from Cape oh. Town, it is I. Okay, well, I'll just say that um, if anybody wants an introduction to the most eligible bachelor in Cape Town, mm-hmm. they're welcome to email me personally and I'll pass it on to you. Also also <laughs> with us in a deep, dark holler, just off the two-lane blacktop, from the moonshine capital of the United States, we have Cliff Professor Garner. Good evening, <laughs> Cliff. Hi. <laughs> and last but not least, from the trendy southern suburbs of Cape Town, we have Miss Andy Tate. Oh, Good morning, you. Andy. Thank you so much for those very kind words. 
Now, I believe, Andy, that besides uh, being part of the cafe latte set there that Cruz was telling me about that you occupy, <laughs> you've also been you've also been busy with this recording that we've just heard. So. Can you tell us a little bit about that before we get into the rest of the show? Right. That was until the wee hours of this morning. So I hope everyone ah. enjoyed that. But actually, that was just an email that I, I received from a group called Africa Christian Action. But I will put it in the show notes. And it's by a Dr. Hammond. That was just an mm. excerpt of it. So there were quite a few of those uh, testimonies that I actually had omitted just for the sake of time, but it is worth just going to have a little read, and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I found it really interesting. Okay, cool. So um, most of what we'll talk about today, because we've got some memes to discuss as well, I guess we'll put those in our show notes as well so people can go and have a look. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to be talking about Easter today, and I guess what I thought we might kick off with is what were your thoughts on Easter when you were a child growing up? So um, let's start with you, Cruzy. What was Easter like for you as a kid? What did it mean to you um, in, in your family growing up? It was never really a huge thing in our family, but um, you know, to me personally, at, at that time of my life, it was more of, yeah, yeah I've got a day off from, from school. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> so only when I actually became a Christian, mm. as in a saved Christian, did it actually have any meaning to me. Um, right. and that's much, much later in my life. But as a child, pretty much just chocolate. And that's what it's about for some kids. Uh, and hopefully today we'll get to the real meaning of Easter, yeah. what it should be meaning for to us, and uh, we'll delve into that a bit. Yeah. Cool. And Andy, what did it mean to you as a kid? I think I probably didn't associate Easter with um, Easter eggs. I have to say, like, I like the idea, I suppose, mm. we would probably have been on school holidays or something like that around the time. I have this one memory, I think, of my mom hiding eggs in the garden and stuff and us girls going to go and have a look for that. I mean, it was quite good fun. Um, But the other thing that I suppose I I only learned to associate with Easter, the word Easter, later on was, you know, as as a kid, I used to love reading these books. We had these beautiful illustrated volumes of children's um, Bible stories and you know I think what really stuck with me were the illustrations because they were really stunning and all beautifully painted and I think there is just this one scene that kind of goes over double page spread and it's one that's kind of embedded in my mind and that's just of Jesus on the cross you know um, with the two thieves besides him and um, I think only later on do you kind of go okay this is Easter this is what it is this is how it is but that is an image that I had as a very young child and I I definitely did realize that Jesus had died for us I think I got that message early on right well um, the household I grew up in wasn't a Christian household but strangely enough it was actually basically compulsory to believe in God and that's about where it ended really so Easter for me as a kid, what I remember was exactly like Cruzy, you got a day off school, but we had hot cross buns, so I always looked forward to the hot cross buns. Mm. Um, we didn't have so much chocolate or Easter eggs, but in our household it was mainly the hot cross bun thing. So as a kid, you know, hey, I, I want my hot cross bun, it's Easter, yeah. you know. And mm. I guess having a cross on it, I, I did realize that it had, you know, a religious significance of some sort, right. um, but I think really that's about the, the most I can say about it as a kid. Uh, Cliff, what about you? 
It was always a really big deal with my family. Uh, my, Mom always uh, loved doing it with the, the eggs, the rabbits, you know, all that. But, you know, we also got the story. And my, Mom was a Sunday school teacher, oh. and she, she worked with children. And that was part of the beauty of it. You know, she taught us the story very early. We always, uh, we always knew the story of Easter, the crucifixion, and resurrection and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, actually, uh, Easter was one of my first memories. Uh, my brother Glenn was born on Easter. And uh, when Mom went to the hospital, I remember uh, she was very excited and uh, told me that when she came back, she'd bring me an Easter present. So when she came back, here was this little red thing that was crying and screaming, and uh, everybody paid so much attention to it and didn't pay any attention to me anymore. Aww. And, uh, well, well, that's, uh, that's the thing about being the oldest child. But I remember the day mom brought him home and, uh, that was it. And, you know, we were, we were rivals, but we were also closest friends too. And, uh, you know, I mean, he's one of my first memories, you know, um, I, I, I've always known the, uh, the real story too. Mom had a way of teaching kids mm-hmm. and, uh, I, I learned really well from her. Glenn, Glenn was a little more of the hyperactive kid, you know, but I was, uh, I was the good boy when I was young, and I was the bad one when I was older. <laughs> so, uh, did you guys do, like, Easter eggs and um, hot cross buns and traditional oh, things? Oh, yeah. Like Mom used to love to get the, uh, the whole basket, you know, and she'd, uh, she'd, she'd get every one of us a basket, and we'd have one big egg with our name done in frosting. And uh, there, there would be, you know, a few others on that one. And so each one of us had one of those. But we'd, we'd hunt for the others, you know, and usually those were real eggs. And then there would be some uh, plastic ones, and there would be maybe a quarter in them or uh, maybe uh, maybe some kind of candy or something in it, you know, just just all kinds of different stuff. And, and sometimes, uh, you know, she'd even get the neighborhood kids involved, you know, like uh, some of our friends uh, sometimes would be part of it. Like I say, my, it was a big deal with my family. It, it really was, and we'd have a uh, we'd have an Easter ham or a meatloaf or something. You know, it'd be a really nice you know dinner that day, and uh, it was always a big family thing and family and friends.
as it's Easter and as we're going to theme this little chat about Easter in general, you know, we started off with a bit of the trial and the death of Jesus. And um, now it might be quite interesting because obviously being on Facebook, being in social media, that kind of stuff, you often do see differing opinions about Easter and stuff come up. And we just thought we're going to come up with a couple of those that have been kind of spread around. Some of them are just plain funny, and some of them are not so funny. But um, we're going to try and just play a bit of the meme game and see how we go along. So I'm going to start with the very first one that Cruzy posted in our group the other day. This is actually from South Africans Against Dacher and Satan. I don't even know if we can possibly take that seriously, but um, it just says, Parents beware, marshmallow eggs are actually Satanistic demon embryos that hatch inside your child. Recent Christian studies prove beyond any doubt that marshmallow Easter eggs are a Satanistic plot to infest South African children with the demons of paganry and witchcraft. Once ingested, the eggs hatch and release demonic influence in the unsuspecting Christian's life. So there we go. That very serious <laughs> little meme has come I, from I, I, South Africans yeah. against Dacha and Satan. And they obviously mean that figuratively. Um, <laughs> um, hopefully, for their sanity. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, I don't know. I don't know, Cruzy, because... It does finish by saying, remember, eating even one marshmallow egg is as good as bowing before the enemy and begging mm. for satanic penetration. Yeah. So, wait, leave that out. <laughs> <laughs> cut, cut, cut. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> All right, moving on. Carry on, Cruzy. Sorry. Marshmallows. Farewell. <laughs> <laughs> Now you know. Now you know. How do you carry on from that? I don't know. I don't know how to come back from it. But so we needed to let everyone know about this terrible thing. Please avoid marshmallow Easter eggs. They they are just not good for you. Okay. So there we go. You know what, in the Hebrew Roots Movement, you see that kind of thing a lot. If you if you actually just eat one Easter egg, then it means yeah. you're worshipping Isis or whatever they want to call it this time, or Ishtar or whatever. Um, yeah. Or the meme could just, uh, or the meme, like you guys say, would, would actually yeah. just be a mockery of it. Right. You know, right. taking it to the ridiculous <laughs> extreme, if you know what I mean. Well, yeah. I, I think there's smoke in that stuff. <laughs> 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 it's just Dick Marley, and they're just going... Man, don't you know? Because <laughs> <laughs> I gave my, tell I gave my child a chocolate egg. He turned into the demon. <laughs> 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 Sorry. <laughs> I'm laughing too loud, and I'm pretty sure that people in, these, in the block of flats that I'm staying in are still sleeping. So please stop making me laugh this loud. Okay. Worst of all. I, I'm afraid I might be waking my mom up. <laughs> You're gonna bring the like, down, man. Let's talking like the devil. <laughs> gonna call the parish priest. <laughs> Yeah. Cliff's bumps on the phone to the parish priest. She needs an exorcist. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
or something. <laughs> yeah, I'm throwing up and my head's spinning, all right? <laughs> Green stuff all over. Well, chocolate would be yeah, Too much chocolate <laughs> might just do that to you. It's true. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, Chrissy, you brought up the Ishtar um, mm. thing that um, we do often see, especially, I, I, wouldn't, I don't know, it's, it, various uh, groups may bring that up, but um, I think you said earlier that you had seen it, was it on a Dawkins page or something, or who had said that to me? Oh, I did. Oh, was it you? Uh, yeah, that, that that was on a Dawkins page. Shall we read the little meme and then um, sure, then sure. we can maybe discuss it a bit? There's probably many of them, by the way, but this is just one that we found, and it's a picture of I think Ishtar, although I don't even know. This is Ishtar, pronounced uh, Inanna. Ah, Inanna. Okay. <laughs> this is Ishtar, pronounced Easter. Easter was originally the celebration of Ishtar the Assyrian and Babylonian goddess of fertility and sex. Her symbols, like the egg and the bunny, were and still are fertility and sex symbols. Or did you actually think eggs and bunnies had anything to do with the resurrection? After Constantine decided to Christianize the empire, Easter was changed to represent Jesus. But at its roots, Easter, which is just how you pronounce Ishtar, is all about celebrating fertility and sex. So <laughs> there's that one. I don't know. I, I think there are various memes, though, aren't there, um, Cliffy? Oh, there's a lot of yeah. them. And, and the thing about Ishtar, Ishtar is a Babylonian goddess mm -hmm. that uh, was originally named Inanna. And I think that, that the, the, actually the uh, uh, being there is Inanna. And, uh, and and they're the same entity, actually, uh, at least we tend to think so. And it's kind of a goddess of love and uh, war. And uh, now the thing is, is that rabbits, no. Lions, yes, that is their animal. Uh, eggs had nothing to do with her either. Uh, she was a goddess of fertility, but eggs, uh, you know, you know the, especially the way that we're doing them here, had nothing to do with her. Uh, one of the stories they want to tell is that uh, there was some kind of a uh, sacrifice done to uh, uh, to Ishtar, and they would dip the eggs in blood, hmm. and that's hmm. total nonsense. Uh, there, there is n there's nothing anywhere that I have ever read in any any uh, ancient ritual or magic or stories or myth or anything that has ever said that. Hmm. Jim Staley is one of the ones that says it. Oh. So, you know, the guy's talking a pretty big lie, and I'm not sure where he got that one from. Wow. The, the thing here, though, is that what they're trying to expect us to believe, okay, is the Easter, which is the Germanic name for this, came from Ishtar in Babylon. Now, there's a long way between Babylon and Germany. Hmm. The name would not have been preserved in the language because the language went through a lot of changes. It, for one thing, it's not a Semitic language. It, it's an Indo-European language. So it went through different types of development. And for Ishtar to have been just directly transferred, you know, if it was like, like, like next door and the, they just borrowed the word from them, that would be one thing. But you're talking about, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years of difference in, in, in language change. The name in English... Old English, Anglo-Saxon English, as it was recorded in about 
Well, it was uh, the Venerable Bede that supposedly the the one that says that uh, the name Eostre or Eostre mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. the name of a, a Germanic goddess. He said that about, I'm pretty sure, about 600 A.D. And the Germans were starting to be uh, Christianized around 500 A.D. Uh, this is kind of like a little bit after the time of King Arthur. Mm-hmm. And it, it's really kind of funny because he's the only person that ever mentions this goddess, Eostre. Uh, okay. He's the only one. And he's the only one that ever talks about Ostara, which would be the German, continental German version of the same name. He's the only person anywhere to talk about this being a goddess. Hmm. Is it possible? Well, of course it's possible. You know, I mean, the Venerable Bede, well, you know, he's respectable. And we learn a lot of things from him. But there's also a reason why he may have made this up, uh, you know, to show that that the the gospel could even purge the evil out of something like that and make it an acceptable uh, term. And a lot of people think that that's the case nowadays. Now, there's disagreement, and for good reason, but we don't know. See, that's the thing, that we don't know, and, and everybody wants to conflate this into being, oh, it's absolutely true, and it's like, no, no, it's not. It's debatable, highly debatable. Guys, um, just okay. in support of what Cliff's talking about there, can I just share a bit of an article here, and we will put this in our show notes, because it is a really, really good article that I posted in our group, and it's an article by Bill Muhlenberg, mm-hmm. and it says, Easter of Pagan Origins, question mark. And, I, you yeah. know, I'd like people to go and probably read the whole lot, but just to support Cliff in what he was saying there, here Bill quotes Dr. Jonathan Safati. We yeah. are occasionally rebuked for using the word Easter on the grounds that it is allegedly derived from the Babylonian goddess Astarte equivalent to the Assyrian goddess Ishtar. This comes from an off-sided 19th century book, The Two Babylons, by the Scots Reverend Alexander Hislop. He continues, The Hebrew word for Passover is Pesach, which comes from the the verb Pasach, which means to pass over. When the Old Testament was translated into Greek, this word was basically unchanged, becoming the Greek Pascha. In some English Bibles, this is translated Easter, and other times Passover, but it's the same word. Most other languages have the same word for both, e.g. Latin, Pascha, French, mm-hmm. Parques, man, my French is gone, so forget it, Italian, Pasqua, and Dutch, Passen. English also retains this word in expressions such as Paschal Lamb. So where did the word Easter come from? Does the word Easter come from paganism? The answer is a clear no. Hislop's research is very shoddy in many places. He tries to see paganism everywhere on even the flimsiest grounds. In this case, he imagines a connection between Easter and Astarte purely on the basis of sound similarity. Now, a lot of people make that mistake, so we we must always, all of us need to be aware of that one. Uh, Continuing... Mm -hmm with not the slightest trace of linguistic connection or any borrowing. By this spurious method, one could connect the Potomac River with Greek Potamos, <laughs> although there is no con- connection between the Native American and Greek word. In reality, the word Easter is really Anglo-Saxon, sometimes Esther, not Babylonian. 
it was a common word for both Passover and Easter. So I just had to put that in there. Sorry to interrupt, Cliff, but I needed to throw that in there because it kind of backed up exactly what you were saying. So we will post that whole article because there's a lot more to it than that. And I encourage people to read the lot. But yes, back to you. Well, the thing is, what they're expecting you to believe is that a Babylonian goddess that disappeared uh, probably about 250 years B.C. uh, managed to survive in Germany. And how is that possible? I mean, you know, how are they going there? There's no evidence that there was some kind of a, a move of Babylonians moving to Central Europe. Mm. There is none at all. The German language developed through the Western Indo-European languages. Okay, and you know people talk about uh, you know all the the Latin uh, and stuff. You know, language uh, and that being the Celtic. Well, that that's roughly about the same time period you're talking about. And no, it has nothing to do with uh, the lost tribes, by the way. But, you know, you're, you're looking at 250 B.C., you know, that time period. And so the Latin language, the, the Celtic languages, and the Germanic languages, as well as possibly lost languages, developed out of a, of a common root. And it would have to have been a word, uh, actually, the word that it would have developed from it would have been Awestro. And, and in central Germanic languages, that aus or aus became os, so ostara. And the Anglo-Saxons broke away from them, and that became ea or ao, so aostara or aostre. That would have been the name. Very interesting, Cliffy. And, and, and yeah, you can hear that there's no connection to ishtar mm. there. Mm-hmm. It's a completely different sound formation. And that disproves any possible connection there. Wow. It's a ludicrous theory that it could come from Ishtar. Now, if it is a goddess, that's another issue altogether, and the, the evidence is very thin. Mm. Uh, probably the most reputable person who believed it uh, would be uh, the uh, linguist uh, Jakob Grimm, mm-hmm. the Grimm brothers. They did the, uh, the fairy tales. Yeah. But they were both linguists, and, uh, and Jakob was the genius of the two, and he... He just ate it up, but there is no evidence beyond his guess that, that there is anything there. They can't give you a character. They, they can give One thing they can give you, there's a lot of cities in eastern Britain that have names that are somehow related to that, but it could be just the name for the month itself because that's exactly how it's phrased by uh, the Venerable Bede, Aostre Monath. Easter month, which would be the time right after the equinox, and that's exactly what it is. So that is what they're talking about. They're talking about the, the springs begins this month, and it's April. And in German, the, the original name was Ostara Monat. And you hear how the Monat and not Monath, that shows the uh, shifts in the two languages, uh, how they changed. So Grimm bought into it, hook, line, and sinker, but he was looking for proof of some kind of a mythology or folk legends or whatever that he could find, anywhere he could find them. And I think that maybe he was just a little bit too eager to add that in and count it. Hmm. And there's enough evidence for it. But there are, but there are cities like, uh, there's a, a, a village called Eastry. I think it's in, a, it's in the eastern area. Uh, also, you know the Ostrogoths? Yeah, the Ostrogoths. The Ostrogoths? 
Okay, well, we'll see their name is also related to that. And so they think maybe that the name meant the Goths of the Rising Sun, but definitely the East Goths. It definitely meant that. Hmm. And, of course, the Visigoths uh, would have been West. And those are actually misnomers that were assigned to earlier people that probably shouldn't have been put to the earlier ones and should have been for the later ones. But at the same time, they, you know, they kind of conflated uh, the two together. Hmm. This is a lot more complex than that. But the uh, word Ostrogotha, those two words together, that Ostra and Ostara and Aostre are all related. Hmm. Okay. And, they're, and they're related to the word East. So, anyway, that's uh, the language lesson for the day, I guess. Excellent. <laughs> well done. <laughs> no, that was very good. Does anyone else have any questions there for uh, Cliff? No, I'm, I'm ready to move on to our next meme. Okay. Can I tell a quick joke? Um, sure. Please go ahead. And what do you get if you pour boiling hot water down a rabbit's hole? Hot cross bunnies. No, cruisy. Give <laughs> <Excuse> me. Oh, <laughs> uh, I found Constantine. Cool. As ah. if he was missing. <laughs> yeah, was he missing? <laughs> uh, this is from the wonderful brothers at outcryministries.com. Mm-hmm. This is the heading Constantine. Um He changed the Sabbath from the seventh day to the first day, the venerable day of the sun. Uh Adopted pagan festivals and did away with Jehovah's feasts, Leviticus 23. Hmm. Arrested and killed many who who observed biblical times and seasons. Hmm. Um, Hitler also did that in any case. He basically invented Christianity, according to this. Set up pagan traditions like Easter, Christmas, etc. And that is their four-pronged bad attack on modern Christianity. What a bad Constantine. That's all I can say. Hmm. Mm. What a bad, bad boy. Bad, bad, bad Constantine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, Constantine did. He also invented rabbits. Oh, yeah. wow. I didn't know And that. the full stop. <laughs> yeah. He made them, he made them part of the whole thing. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah he, he raised rabbits and uh, he wanted a bunny. <laughs> yeah. By golly, he got it. That's his symbol he left for us. Oh, my goodness. Well, well, Constantine, obviously, I mean, he was responsible for many things. But mm. did, did he change the Sabbath from well, the seventh day to the first day? No. Well, no. just one thing here. Early on, we said he tried to Christian uh, – somebody mentioned he tried to Christianize the world. And I, I would almost say that's almost wrong. He, maybe he tried to Catholicize the world. Right. But in any case, uh, uh, apart from that, you know, the Sabbath never has changed. It's always been on the same day. You guys are welcome to correct me if I'm wrong, and I might well be. But um, the, the church has always worshipped on uh, the first day because that's the day we always took it as right. when Jesus rose from the, de- um, right. from the dead. Um, and there's the a few examples in the Bible yeah. uh, where the disciples met on the first day mm. and worshipped. Yeah. Um, and it had, had absolutely nothing to do with the Sabbath. It's no. got but, zero so connection. So this would have been many, many years before Constantine, so... Right. It's a misnomer. The Seventh-day Adventist, it's, you know, one of the basic attacks that they always launch as well. Exactly yeah. the same one. And it's laughable. It's an absolute joke. I just want to play Cruzy for a second here. Earlier, Cruzy made reference to Hitler. And, you know, Clippy was saying that Constantine was a chicken farmer. Oh, no. But, um, <laughs> you... Constantine... <laughs> All right. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I muffed it. 
All right, so Cruzy does a muffy shake, so I can't That's be That's foul. Okay. That's foul. <laughs> That's a foul. Let me start again. Why but, did Constantine cross the road? <laughs> <laughs> to go fetch his chicken. <laughs> yeah, he's trying to find his chicken. Yeah. <laughs> and a rabbit beat him to it. I just want to play Cruzy for a second here. Earlier, Cruzy made reference to Hitler. And, you know, Clippy was saying that Constantine was a chicken farmer. But um, did you know that Heinrich Himmler was a chicken farmer? Yeah. And Absolutely. so, therefore, therefore, you can draw those two things together, right? We go over all of those languages and all over all of those years, and we can draw those two comparisons. But sorry to um, <laughs> take this down a rabbit trail. Uh, continue. Very cool. Chicken trail. <laughs> chicken trail. <laughs> That's funny. Chickens and bunnies. Well, okay. Anyways, well, on, on on the Sabbath thing, do you guys have any more comments on that? Yeah, yeah. Well, it was the Lord's Day, and then that's the thing. They they want to they want to put all the blame on Constantine. Constantine really didn't do that much of what they accuse him of. Hmm. Uh, Well, the man, the man became the first Christian emperor. Okay, and and I think we all know that he's a little bit quirky, and that and that maybe you know some of the things that he believed might have been a little bit. what, what would you call it? Uh, idiosyncratic. But at the same time, I, I don't think that he was insincere. And not only that, what he did to the church wasn't very much. I mean, you're, you're looking at a bunch of guys that, you know, he might have legalized what they were doing, but you're looking at a bunch of guys that just lived through the hardest persecution of the church had ever known right. with Donetian. And, and that, these guys aren't just going to come right out and say, you know, tell us what we believe. They're not going to listen to that. And not only that, he wasn't asking that out of them. There's a thing called the oration to the saints. And it's supposed to be what Constantine actually had to say to the church. He actually was trying to Christianize the Roman Empire. He was getting rid of certain sacrificial practices. And that had nothing to do with the Jews. He was getting rid of that with the pagan, and he was shutting down certain of the more raunchier uh, things that were going on in the pagan world. He didn't approve of it. And so, you know, is that wrong? Hmm. I don't think so. He maybe had been re- overreaching what he really should have been doing in some ways, but he was doing that for the church. And I think that a lot of people are, are really putting a, a lot of blame on him that he doesn't deserve. You know, there, there are things that he didn't do right. I, I, I think that one of the things that we have to question is how he dealt with the Donatus in Northern Africa. Sure. That is the one group of people he did persecute. Mm. Uh, did he, he, he passed some laws against the Jews, but that wasn't that unusual as far as Roman emperors went. So as far as them saying that he was more anti-Jewish than, than any of the others is actually a lie. Mm. Cliff, I think you're right. He does get the blame for a yeah. lot of things that, shouldn't be laid at his doorstep that's true and i don't claim to be an expert in any way but i've noticed how often we do talk about constantine right um andy oh he comes up a lot yeah but but that that being said carry on yeah go on i was just gonna i was just gonna button i I really shouldn't but just a little clarification there and i know you mentioned the great persecutions of Domitian. now there definitely was a lot of persecution of Domitian, but i think the closest one to constantine wasn't that diocletian 
Diocletian, yeah. Right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're I just right. wanted to double yeah. check that. The mission was earlier. Right, but yeah. Diocletian yeah. also yeah. did definitely persecute, but Constantine came directly mm-hmm. out of Diocletian. So, sorry, I just wanted to um, make that point if it was correct. Yeah. I wasn't sure. Well, <laughs> I just needed well, to well, check. No, 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 no that's true. Yeah. No, I just wanted to, I had one more point too to make about Constantine, but yes, probably the three worst were Nero, Domitian, and Diocletian, but the point I wanted to make about Constantine, because we want to let people know that we're taking a balanced view and we're looking at it at all angles. Right. Yeah. And one of the one major archaeological evidence I've seen talked about against Constantine for his continuation of paganism or playing it two ways, as in, you know, Christian mm-hmm. out of one mouth and pagan out of the other. Right. One of the best archaeological evidence arguments that I've personally seen is his use mm. of Helios on his coins late in his career, right? Mm. Late in right. his reign, they were still minting him. So they that's one thing I, I, I think I must say that just to show that we we do know and we can have a we can critically argue our point here about Constantine is that yes, we know his faults. Okay. We do know the faults of Constantine. We are looking at every angle here. Right. And I'm gonna let Cliffy continue, but the point right. is that there are a lot of things that are laid at his doorstep that should not be, that are uh, incorrect. Right. Um, but anyway, I just thought I'd bring that in to say that we do half know what we're talking about, if I can put it that way. But anyway, sorry, <laughs> let's carry on. Well, it's, 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 um... <laughs> Actually, we, we argue about it all the time. And personally, my opinion is, has been changing really pretty much since confronting the, the Hebrew roots people. But with the Constantine thing, you know, that, that was one of the things that they were using to get to me. And, and now that I'm going back and looking at it all again and, and, and trying, to, trying to look at it with fresh eyes, that I'm seeing the, the, where they're wrong. But I'm also seeing where he did do some things that we have to question about. Right. Uh, but at the same time, they're not the things that they're talking about. Hmm. They're picking on things that aren't even valid, uh, things to tack him on. So, you know, this, this is where we really get into problems. And where Constantine has problems is things like the use of the sun later on. But, but there, are, uh, there are things the church did do before Constantine with the sun, and it really had a lot to do with the sun of righteousness that comes out of Isaiah. That They were using that symbolism a lot, and then uh, that was long before Constantine came around. But that's aside. Where Constantine comes in... He's not going to bring in Easter. I'm sorry. The fact is that there is no Roman emperor that would have promoted a Germanic holiday. That is one of the most ludicrous things they could even start in on. Has anybody found anything about Constantine and the bunnies? <laughs> because I, I've, I've read that, and these people will actually put that out there with a straight face. And it's like, are you kidding? You're joking, right? You're not joking. Mm. Oh, my God. Yeah, you're but, actually but, serious. Uh, but here's the question, would, would the Hebrew Roots guys be okay with it if we celebrate Easter if it had a different name? And, and, <laughs> yeah. and I've asked them that question before, and I've like never had a straight up? answer. Well, yeah, well, let's call it, I don't know, uh, Coffee Day, whatever. Uh, resurrection yeah, yeah, yeah. resurrection uh, Weekend, whatever. <laughs> oh, okay, um, there we go. W- would they be okay with it then? So it's all based on the name. So they've, they've I, got... I, I, think, I think what we're looking at is actually more political mm. in the long run. I, I think what they're looking at is that they want to they want to accuse the church of being pagan, and abandon the faith as we've known it, and go with yeah. this legalism, yeah. and replace well, it. It's a new gospel. Uh, it's the same thing with Christmas, isn't it? Because they uh, yeah. they always say he tried to appease the pagans by leaving it on the twenty fifth of December, 
Um, yeah. And I've also I've also asked him the same questions. What if we had Christmas on the twenty fourth? Would it be okay yeah, with you? Sure. Um, yeah. Would, would that make you happy? Yeah. Well, well, how, how, how about them? Uh, you know, talking about Halloween and then promoting Purim with mm. cross dressing and, and other kind of costumes. Cross dressing is a, is an acceptable thing in Israel for Purim, and they want to promote that. Mm. Hmm. Uh, it is interesting how Constantine does get the rep for a lot. I mean, he certainly was yeah. no um, shining saint, I don't think. I mean, mm. considering all the conspiracies against his own family and everything else that kind of yeah. went down with him. But, um, you know, we also need to be just very, very careful that we don't just kind of find things to suit what we're wanting to hear. And I think that's what often seems to happen on Facebook is that, you know, these little memes fly around. You know, they're very easy to share, and I think your average Christian out there probably doesn't take the time to really just go and, you know, look a little further than just a meme <laughs> that looks like, huh, yeah. you know, that sounds like it's authentic, you know. So I, I suppose it's, you know, it also comes back to us. You know, it's an indictment on us, actually. We, we need to become a little bit more responsible in what we put out there. So that's just a little off-the-cuff um, <laughs> well, it's uh, we've probably discussed that enough. Um, just the next point there. We've spoken about the adopted pagan festivals um, in this meme, but it also says they did away with Jehovah's feasts. Now, can you guys show me in the New Testament where we are obliged to keep the feasts as a Christian? Paul, any, clearly. Any, well, any verses? No, I think the two main can we call them sacraments, that, that Christians, you could argue, are obliged to keep uh, communion and baptism, mm. but outside of that... Mm. Now that's they, part of the New Covenant, things yeah. Will, exactly. Yeah, the New Covenant. Exactly. But, you know, and both of those will have uh, echoes in the Old Testament, but I think mm. that's about it. Sure. What do you think, Cliff? Yeah, well, I agree 100%. Uh, those are the only two sacraments that keep coming up when a new church is start. You know, it's like, how do we deal with communion? And uh, what do we what do we believe on baptism? You know, those are those are two really big key things. Uh, but but you know that, that that's part and parcel of being a Christian church. You know, baptism is is a I don't want to call it the initiation, but it really is a, the moment in which you are accepted within the body of Christ, and that's what you're baptized into. And uh, the commemoration of uh, the Last Supper, the the agape feast, is what they used to call it. I mean, there, there, there's so much in there that uh, Paul talks about, you know. They talked about, I, I think you probably remember when you were younger, people used to say that you can't take the communion unless you're worthy, right? And it, it means, the, you know, they, they're saying, since you didn't sin, well, we're all sinners, you know. I mean, who is truly worthy? Only Christ is worthy. Right. So really, what, what, what he was talking about, and if you look at the context of it, Paul was talking about taking it in a worthy manner that the uh, people that were taking it were, uh, you know, they're getting drunk and they're having fights and they're arguing about who, who brings the wine and who brings the food, right? Some people get uh, nothing and some people would sit there and, and be gluttonous, you know. It's like, no, 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 no. You don't do it that way. You know, it's, it's, it's communal. You, you share. You know, that's where we get our word communion, that everybody shares together. So that is the sacrament, uh, it, and it's done as a memorial. And, and Christ told mm -hmm. us to do that until he comes. That's Those right. I think I... that uh, 
we we have to be mindful that of the liberty that the gospel brings, right? Because we're being mm. set free from those old things, and it means that the distinction of days is at an end. I believe that mm. baptism and communion are the two things I would say we, we're obliged to take part in. Um, that's yeah. just my opinion, and everything else is fulfilled in Jesus. Anything else that you could come up with, really, is mm. fulfilled in mm. Jesus. So I personally don't hold one day in higher esteem above another. And oh, so, no need to. Or event, to be honest, event or day or whatever, because, you know, Paul said in Romans 14, verse 5 mm. and 6, now I know there are arguments for and against this, and you must read it in context and study it for yourself, but he says one person regards one day above another, Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord. He who eats Mm -hmm. does so for the Lord, for he gives Mm -hmm. thanks to God. And he who eats not, for the Lord he does not eat and gives thanks to God. Now, that doesn't Mm -hmm. mean I can't celebrate Easter or Christmas because to me personally, again, I'm speaking for myself, Easter and Christmas, and I'm being genuine here, Easter and Christmas happen every day in my heart. And so if you right. want to celebrate okay. one of those, you pick a date and I'll join you because really it doesn't matter to me. I'm, I'm an everyday person. Every day yeah. is an right. opportunity to cebe- and- celebrate those things. As long as Jesus is honoured, the date doesn't matter to me. Just my humble opinion. Right. Exactly. But, but I think that everything is fulfilled within Jesus and, and to go looking for more, um, mm-hmm. you, you could be putting yourself under a trap or under a snare. That doesn't mean to say you don't have certain obligations to live a certain uh, way or whatever. I'm not arguing that, but I'm arguing against uh, particular rights that you must perform on particular dates. That's what I'm saying. And and that also also brings in, um, if I may just quickly add to that, the Sabbath keeping. Um, Mm -hmm. um, uh, It's basically, to me, and this is just my view, to me that was a foreshadowing of Jesus that was to come. And uh, once Jesus came, our rest is in Him. Our Sabbath, our yeah, rest is, is in Sabbath. in Jesus. Yeah. Um, exactly. So so every day is our Sabbath. Every day is our rest in yeah. Him. Um, we worship the One that cast the shadow. We don't worship the shadow. If, right. if you get what I'm saying. Now, now, now where um, I really get upset with the with the Hebrews folks is where they start saying mm-hmm. that that uh, one day is for for the devil, and it's like I wouldn't even go there. How can they say that? Every day, any days. Yeah. this is the day that the Lord hath made. Let us rejoice exactly. and be glad in it. Mm. Why would they darken one day and say that that belongs to the devil? Even even if it did, we should mm. take it away and announce the Lord in that day. You know, for us Christians, that day is the Lord's. It's actually exactly. them. It's actually them that's guilty of the of the exact trespass that they are accusing us of. Because it's exactly. actually them that give uh, credit to the pagans on that particular oh, yeah. day. Um, uh, uh, well, they, yeah. they, they give credit to the devil that he isn't due. Exactly. They've basically conceded that day to the pagans. Exactly. Um, just by their whole argument. The, 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 the logic of their argument is, is to give glory to the pagan gods. It's just, mm. And it's the same thing with the tree. We're not thinking of, of Nimrod and his member. They are. Yeah. Who is living glory to Nimrod? Mm. They are. They need to stop. They need to stop for their sake because what they're doing is wrong. And it's, it's it, you know, in a lot of cases, it almost comes across to me as a total rejection of the cross. It is. Uh, and that's why so many of them actually become Jewish. 
you know, I, I've been looking at a lot more of this. There's some really nasty forces out there, and they're glomming on to these folks, and they're they're pulling people away. Mm. And, and and there's some pretty good evidence that some groups like Jews for Judaism, uh, which is an anti-missionary group, is is glomming onto them. Uh, look look mm. at uh, Nehemiah Gordon. You know how he he takes Christians' money and he talks out of both sides of his mouth, but he's basically pushing people to become Jewish. Yeah. Well, even a guy like John Aggie, um, as far as I know, it was him that that basically said oh, we yeah. don't need to inv- to evang- to evangelize Jews. He's going right there with. Uh, not Khan, the other one, uh, the the Blood Moons guy. Uh, Mark Biltz. Biltz, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he says exactly the same thing. Mm. And, and, and it's like, that is not the gospel. Mm. Which that, has also been... Something else. Yeah, and that's also been thoroughly debunked by Chris Rosebro from uh, FightingForTheFaith.com and uh, Chris, oh, yeah. White, Chris White as well. Um, yeah, yeah, those two, which, and, and also Dr. Brown. Yeah. Dr. And Brown, he, 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 he's a messianic if, Jew. And if I may, I may just uh, mention that, I think everyone should watch the debunkumentaries that Chris White did on YouTube. You can watch it free on YouTube. Oh, There's yeah. two that he did, the Sacred Name Movement, mm-hmm. and he did one uh, against the Hebrew Roots Movement as well. I, actually, he's got a yeah. new one out against the Blood Moons as well. It was about the, the Sabbath, I think, well. the one that yeah. was. It was a Sabbath, yeah, and it was basically kind of dispelling mm. some of the ideas of the Seventh-day Adventist movement and the Hebrew. He did movement. a very small one not very long ago. It, it, it was very small, and, and, if he, mm. and I hope he goes back to it, but on the uh, Lost Tribes. Okay, yeah. Uh, the, the, the Ten Lost Tribes of the Jews. I, I hope he goes back to it because he did a really good job of what he did. And he uh, he he didn't do much. Uh, all he did is he found a really good article by uh, uh, Chuck Missler uh, that the that debunked uh, the the ten tribes. I've been doing a lot of research on that uh, just recently, and the fact is is that they aren't lost. Well, yeah. Actually, what it what it is is it's become a, one of these great excuses from Judaism. To mm. morph it to a different direction, away from from a messianic Christianity, uh, and and it's a way of uh, denying it and uh, saying, well, since these lost tribes haven't come back, uh, you know, the Messiah hasn't come. It's become mm. a big excuse, and, and so you get people like Staley and stuff. You know, they're they're conflating this into a a doctrine and saying that because we we uh, become Christians, we are grafted into uh, Israel. Through the tribe of Ephraim, <laughs> mm. it, it's it's almost like a whole different gospel that they that they're preaching, right? This whole it movement. really is. Mm. It really is, and, and it's kind of very extensive uh, mythology that they're putting together, and, and and they're they're stealing a lot of the fables of the Jews is what they're doing, and they're glomming on uh, certain aspects of the Kabbalah, and a lot of people that are involved in it that are putting in Kabbalah that aren't aren't even aware that they're doing it. I don't think. I, I think they're just kind of grasping at, at different Jewish uh, doctrines and just putting them in without, you know, vetting where they're coming from. And, and I think that's the case a lot of the times. It's just amazing how, how intellectually dishonest so many of the uh, leaders are in a group. It's shameful. A lot of false prophets, you know, you, you got the blood moons thing, which is, which is really a continuation of the 2012 thing. 
Uh, I, I still see a couple of memes and even uh, prophecies, uh, dare I say. When I say prophecies, yeah. I'm talking oh. about those who are very influenced by this stuff, you know, prophesying mm. that you sure. know, we've got the moons in alignment, this in alignment, mm. therefore God means this. And so it does get yeah. crazy. Right. I wanted to just bring up, if you don't mind, just two little points. Maybe if we can just go back to the Easter Christmas thing, because I was mm. thinking about this, and I, I know that I've probably mentioned it before. One is just, you know, we can't deny that I think, you know, while I don't believe that, you know, as Christians we're getting involved in paganism just because we want to celebrate Easter or want to remember Jesus at this time and what he did for us, which I think is just the most astounding, most amazing thing, um, and certainly is the most meaningful part, I think, of my own Christian walk, but... Um, you know, there's no denying that commercialism hasn't, you know, kind of stepped in as well and taken over many aspects of these things. Right. But that doesn't mm-hmm. mean that that's what it's all about for us. And I think we need to be able to separate yeah. these things and not kind of meld them right. all into one and kind of paint, you know, all Christians that decide to celebrate as being, you know, part of some pagan ritual, part of some commercial right. ritual, um, et cetera, et cetera. Because actually, I think it's really easy to be able to separate ourselves from it if mm. And where needs be. And so we need to be very careful not to just kind of, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater, as it were, but it's a, and just dump us all into this ridiculous box, you know. So It's also the Easter thing is also the one day in the year where on a big, huge scale, you can sort of announce to the whole world the resurrection of Jesus. Absolutely. When, when, when right. atheists or whoever thinks about Easter, what they think about is uh, Christ's resurrection. They don't think about the pagan pagan thing because no. they don't read the Hebrew Roots Movement literature, I'm sure. I'm speaking in general now. Yeah. What they generally think is, whether they believe it or not, is Jesus Christ. And that's the one day in the year that we can right. really, really um, just get it out there for you. Uh, right. Not that we shouldn't do it every day, well, but I'm just no, it saying... No, because it is a very good point. In Australia, Christmas and Easter will be the only times, two times in a year that many people will go to church mm. and... If they do go to church, perhaps they'll get the opportunity to hear the gospel. The gospel, man. Mm. The gospel. Perhaps. There we go. Let, that, there we go. The gospel, gospel hospital. The gospel is those who are sick. <laughs> the gospel. Get a to, You've just made up a new word. Oh, that's the gospel. Awesome. There yeah. you go. There but we no, go. Good. I, I just made up a new word. <laughs> Plagiarism. <laughs> The gospel, but, yeah. but the gospel is yeah. for those who are sick. So go to church this mm. Easter. Go to church on Christmas, and perhaps you will get a chance to hear the gospel. Now yeah. it won't be preached in all churches, right. but there are many with it where you right. will. So I agree with you, Cruzy. Right. Yeah. Well, my my well, my last point, just before we get on to other stuff, mm. but my last point there is just you know for those of us who do have conviction about any of these things, I say follow your conviction. Do your research, right? Do your research. Make sure that what you are convicted about is not just being influenced by something that's not valid. So I would say go and do your research. And if after your research you're still convicted, then follow that conviction. Be true to that. I think what we need to be careful of, though, is let's not 
force an opinion on somebody else. So just as we right. feel free um, in certain things, I mean, there's certain things about Christmas that I have conviction about, and I'm following that, and I'm free in that. So I don't mind if people mm-hmm. joke about it. I don't mind if there's all this kind of banter about it. But what I'm saying is that those who are really convicted about it not to participate or not to do something, that's fine. Mm. But what I'm saying is then don't then expect others to kind of follow suit just because you are convicted about it. They might not be. And it's very much what uh, G was saying a little bit earlier, that scripture where it does talk about, you know, for one, some day is sacred, for others, every day, you know, that whole thing about the days. Sorry, I've got it all wrong. <laughs> but um, that's the thing. I think we need to be very careful not to put our own convictions and expect other people to just jump on that bandwagon. Um, mm. So have grace for one another. That's, so if you, that's want want shrimp, if you want to eat shrimp, if you want to eat shrimp and pork, go for it. Shrimp and pork. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I was actually just talking about Christmas and Easter because you know what? We, none of us should be eating pork. My mind went wandering to food there. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I love bacon. Um, yeah, anyway. But, but, well, <laughs> is there, there is another consideration, though. But when people accuse the church falsely of being pagan when it isn't, right. that is the devil's work. Yeah. Mm. That is exactly what the dark one does. He accuses us night and day before, before the Lord. Right. Mm. For, for these people to do that, that, that is what they're doing. Yeah. They need well, to stop that- it. Isn't that bringing false witness against your brother? False witness. Absolutely. Division. So, absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Because, yeah, division, all this. Yeah. Uh, see, see if, if they go back and, and start, start actually analyzing their sources, maybe they'll, they'll start changing their minds. But that would also require that they, they look at serious sources, too. Sure. And that, that, I don't think a lot of these people want to do that. Uh, I, I think they're they're very happy with accusing the church of something that, that it's that it's not doing. Right. You know, well, there's actually, problems in the church, but but we need to address those, not not mislabel the problem. Just like with, with mm. Constantine, you know, accusing him of uh, of writing the canon of the Bible mm. uh, is false. Right. Leave that alone. Right. Find something uh, you it, really it, can talk about, like the, killing his killing his wife and his his son. That's right. The, the, you know, the, the, let's that, talk about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah we'll talk about real problems and not not the fake stuff. Right. Sorry, the division you know? thing. The division thing. Um, talking about that. That's like a bit of a double-edged sword. Sure. Um, because the mm-hmm. the Bible does say us uh, say us as my language does uh, teach us to to divide ourselves to to be separate from anything that goes contrary to the real gospel. Right. Um, so in a certain way, there is a bit of a division, and we should we should keep away from from anything. Um, I, the the verse is actually on the tip of my tongue, but it, I've I've gone totally blank, and I'm hoping somebody would save me here with that verse. Um, <laughs> con, contrary the, contrary to the gospel that that we have preached that uh, that verse. Right. Um, but I bet everyone's now um, we, got the verse in their brain. Shall we Google it quickly for you? Um, but just be careful, Google is pagan as well. Uh oh. Oh, Isn't it? I didn't realize. Why didn't you tell well, me earlier? Um, well, yeah. Google eggs, okay. Google bunnies. <laughs> it's all bad. Well, it's well, all bad. That also comes to another point, too. With one of the women on, on our site uh, uh, was bringing up the point that a, a lot mm. of what has become uh, the neo-paganism that's developed out of Christendom, that this is a fake paganism. This is an imitation paganism that's that's being developed. This neo-pagan yeah. thing, mm-hmm. 
is is really that was Renee, it, it, by the way. I think in the group. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was Renee, and, yeah. and 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 I love what she had to say on this. You know, the this fake paganism is really a different thing, and the church is not responsible for this. They're they're saying, well, bunnies are are a symbol of a goddess. Well, well, what goddess? We don't even know, but they're making it one. They're creating this new paganism uh, because they don't they don't know what the old one was. You know, we, we've talked about it, you know, with the uh, different magic books. And, and they might have maybe a couple, couple sentences of Sumerian mixed up with total gibberish. And, and, and this is magic? This is, this is unleashing the dark forces of the, of the universe? Mm. But, you know, if you think about what magic really is, it's the assertion of the will in a supernatural manner. Now, what about this will worship? where we, we have people who think that they can will themselves into perfection? That's a good question. Hmm. Yeah. And they are the legalists. They think that they can become perfect. Well, good luck with that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah well, um... Chrissy, shall I just read this uh, scripture for you just quickly, just in case you need it? That's Galatians 1.9. Um, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you've received let him be accursed for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God or am I trying to please man if I were still trying to please man I would not be a servant of Christ mm. so yeah very good exactly
Okay, guys, we've had a lot of serious discussion. Can can I quickly just lighten the mood for a split second with a joke? And it does it does involve the Easter Bunny, not Constantine, unfortunately. Um, but the Easter Bunny. Um, yes. the in any case, bunny. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I'll call him the Easter Bunny. That's how I've met him and know him. You know. Okay. <laughs> so this uh, this lady's driving down the road late at night and. She sees something hopping in front of the car, and she accidentally eats it. And you just see a bunny flying and Easter eggs flying all over the show. So she jumps out the car, and she sees, oh, no, there's the Easter bunny lying dead in the road. And a guy stops behind her to help her, and they're both standing there. Poor Easter bunny is totally dead. And she eventually says, I think I've got something that can help. So she runs to her car, and she takes out a can, and she sprays it on the bunny. And he jumps up, and he hops 100 meters down the road. For the Americans, that's 100 yards down the road, close enough. And he turns around and he waves and he hops another 100 yards down the road and he turns around and he waves and he hops another 100 yards down the road and he turns around and he waves. And the guy thinks to himself, this is amazing. And he takes the can from the woman and he reads it and it says, adds new life to dead air and adds permanent wave. <laughs> this is the part where you guys laugh. <laughs> you know, very Const- good. Very Constantine good. Like would have laughed at that. You know, gee, this actually reminds me of your story once to me, where you said that um, in Australia, bunnies are not really that welcome. Here in Queensland, it's actually illegal to own a bunny rabbit as a pet. Uh, uh-huh. You can be fined many thousands of dollars. But we if you go just over the border. Well, we had major problems, that's right, for the farms and farmers, so they're actually illegal uh-huh. to have as a pet. Hmm. And um, But if you go just over the border, which is just south of me, into New South Wales, you can have a bunny for a pet, but you cannot have a bunny for a pet in Queensland. Wow. So that's my little Easter yeah. I, I, contribution. Can I just make a really dumb comment? <laughs> but you guys should be used to it by now. Why would you want a bunny as a pet? It can't, can't fit your slippers. It, it can't bite the postman. I suppose it can. But he's um, fluffy. He's fluffy. It, it doesn't bark when burglars come. It's it, it's a pointless pet, really. Oh, okay, I know. Cute. It's cute and fluffy. Okay, I know. Yeah, they're cute mm. fluffy. Now, does that ban extend to chocolate bunnies, uh, G? No, it doesn't <laughs> extend to chocolate at all because while we were while we were recording this, I've been eating chocolate and <gasps> drinking tea. Oh, my. Oh. That's why you've been so quiet. Huh. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah. Chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so moving on, I just, wanted to, I just wanted to share one more thing with you guys before we go. And bear in mind, we haven't intended here to give the complete overview of Easter. There are many, many good sermons and studies on the Internet about Easter itself that you can find. But our intention here is to give a few, well, sort of like flint flakes and stuff about Easter. You can look at it like that if you like. But I've got a couple of things I wanted to read from Graham Veal's website. We had Graham Veal as a guest in show 25 where we, he came on and he talked about his book, The New Atheism. Mm. Now, on his website, and we'll put a link to this, it's, um, his website is called Saints and Skeptics. So that's saintsandskeptics.org. And the article is titled, What is the Case for the Resurrection? And he lists 18 points on the resurrection. So I'll read them, and you guys stop me if you want to discuss some of the points because um, they're all very yeah. good. And thanks to Graham and his website for this, and mm-hmm. also to Andy Tate for Ta-da. pointing it out. Ta-da. 
<laughs> Thank you. <laughs> the point of this is that while we were talking about organising this show and putting it together, I asked Cliffy, I said, uh, mm. just in a message, I said to Cliff, you know, what is the point of Easter? What are we going to talk about? What is the main issue? What do you think? And he just wrote back to me, and I think it was one or two words, but he said the resurrection. So I think that's why we're going here. And um, and, and like I say, the, this is not a complete sermon or anything like that. It's just some points for you to consider. Well, can I, can I just throw something in there? Because obviously without mm. the resurrection, I mean, even Paul says that if that mm. could not be proved, then actually our whole faith is in vain, right? So exactly. I think that this is so pivotal. Be, it's so pivotal to everything we believe, actually. True, because if Jesus didn't rise again, what would be the point of Christianity? And right. and we wouldn't be having Easter, would we? No. Okay, yeah. point one. Jesus was put to death by crucifixion. This was a shameful death which should have devastated the disciples and ended Jesus' movement. Yeah. What do you think? Well, yeah. If you know... Uh, a lot of the uh, heretics over the years have said that, uh, no, he couldn't die that way. And, and that way, you know, said that, uh, well, he, he didn't come in his body. And uh, you even have uh, the Muslims that uh, believe that he wasn't killed. They say, well, somebody else died. Okay, no, that's great because that goes to the next uh, point. Goes to the next yeah. point. It's great, Cliff, because it says, point two, his body was buried in an identifiable tomb. Yeah. Joseph yep. of Arimathea's tomb. So you nailed it. Right. Point three, the a few days knew later, where it was at the time. they knew where it was. And here we go. Again, yeah. you're following along. You must have read this article. <laughs> a few days later, a few days I, later, a group of women followers claimed that Jesus' tomb was empty. So what you said, there was a tomb. They went there. Mm-hmm. Point four, it would have been more convenient for the church if this discovery had been made by men whose right. testimony considered more reliable, hmm. and by yep. one of the early heroes of the faith, like Stephen or Cleopas, hmm. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So these are some really, really good points. Yeah. Well, on a woman's testimony is only half of that of man. Uh, it's a quarter, I think. <laughs> is it a quarter? I thought it was half. But okay. I think, I think isn't it a quarter? Well, in, in modern day Iran, it's, it's uh, a quarter, I think. Sorry. Right. Anyway, let's. They, they, uh, be yeah, it's it's not good. I mean, they 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 don't, they don't tend to believe women. No, and, 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 so and you can that, see that uh, things that happen over in Turkey right now, you know, with uh, with women's rights. I was going to say, women, women women want to be raped. Oh, That's what they yeah. say. Mm-hmm. Well, it does extend into the 21st century in um, in the southern hemisphere because Cruzy and I never believe a word Andy says. <laughs> Oops. That's true, but don't take my word for it. It's, it's only because she's from Zimbabwe. <laughs> <laughs> and that's another very good point oh, from you. I Chris. trust South Africans. Oh, uh, <laughs> you guys know that Andy is Uncle Bob's um, stepniece, don't you? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> he's my second favorite in the whole wide world. My second favorite dictator is um, Andy's mm-hmm. Uncle Bob. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, yeah. uh, moving on. <laughs> I'm sure everyone's going to believe that because you know what? I didn't what? know you had a list. You're a man. That's People are going to believe you. Moving right along Sorry, very swiftly. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Cruzy, I do have a list. He's my second favorite African dictator, and that's her step-uncle. Mm. The disciples were not expecting Jesus to be resurrected. Jews had many other ways of conceiving life after death. 
The disciples could have claimed to have seen Jesus' angel or his spirit in heaven, or that Jesus had been translated into a star. It was decidedly odd to claim he was resurrected from an identifiable tomb. Okay, mm -hmm. so bear in mind these are cases for the resurrection, mm -hmm. right? And that this is the historical method that uh, is being used here to support right. this case for resurrection. So that's why we're we're talking in this in this manner. That's why he's putting them in this manner. Uh, well, well, go back to the Gnostics again. Uh, the, a lot of them said that, that what yes. they saw was a ghost. Hmm. Right. And there wasn't a, an actual physical body. Uh, that uh, he couldn't be a physical body or that if he was, it would not be subjected to the death. And then uh, consequently, the resurrection would have been something else. And uh, he would have appeared in a different form. And multiple appearances took place in which people who had known Jesus well believed they had mm -hmm. seen him alive again. Mm -hmm. Point seven. Paul, who initially persecuted the early Christians, became a follower of Jesus as a result of believing he had seen the risen Jesus. How about that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Eight. That's James. a big one. It is a big one. Paul is a big one. You'd agree, Cruzy? Mm. I think Cruzy's making coffee. <laughs> Cruzy's uh, sipping, well, well, sipping coffee. But there's a lot of was, people that have problems with Paul uh, all, all around. In fact, you get a lot. You get certain factions within the the Hebrew roots movement that uh, that claim that Paul's a false prophet. Yeah, it was a heretic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yes, there are certain segments of uh, these groups who would prefer to rip out all of Paul's writings. Mm. Mm. The Constantine meme. That the last point, um, which I sort of skipped over, but it wasn't really uh, necessary to discuss it at that point, was that he invented Christianity, mm -hmm. and that's also what they say about Paul. Right? Yeah, Paul. Paul's too Jewish to be uh, good for the church, and then at the same time, he's too pagan to be too good, to be good for the church. Mm -hmm. uh, nobody likes Paul. You know, if, if they want to, they want to alter the Bible. Where do they go? They go to him. and They start clipping. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Point eight, James, the brother of Jesus, who was not a follower of Jesus before the crucifixion, became a follower afterwards. He also became mm -hmm. a leader in the church in Jerusalem and was put to death for his faith. Mm -hmm. Nine, the Christian movement started in Jerusalem where Jesus had been crucified shortly after the crucifixion. Mm -hmm. And usually uh, it, it would have to go somewhere else because they wouldn't believe it. Mm. Exactly, yes. 10. Mm -hmm. The message of the early Christians focused on the death and resurrection of Jesus' resurrection could only mean that Jesus' body had been raised from the dead because that's why they focused on it, right? Yeah, and Which some of the other things had are. to tally up. The, the empty tomb had to tally up. Uh, the yep. testimony of the women had to tally up in order for people even to be able to discuss it. Mm -hmm. The Jewish uh, and uh, Roman authorities had a real stake in making sure that that body stayed there, and it did Yes. Mm. Yes, and that—that's that's where it goes into the problems. The Jews claim that to this day they claim that the apostles stole the body. Mm. Some Muslims they also do. do. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes they do. Yes. Or, or that a body did. double, uh, 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 a double, somebody that looked like or, him, or someone uh, who looked like yeah. him. Oh yeah, yes. yeah. yeah I, I've, heard, I've heard all kinds of nonsense. So someone mm. who looked yeah. like him, but also had like holes in his hands and stuff like that. Wow, that's quite something. Well, well, he well, yes, well, put a different person. dead, and he had to steal the body. Hmm. Really, they don't know what they they want to claim because actually, 
the Quran does say that the uh, gospel was in their hand mm. at the time of Muhammad, but they were mistranslating it. Wow. That's the thing. So, so the Bible is as it was at that time. So they have to support that. It was right there, and now they have to read it for what it was because it hasn't changed. You know, that's one of the nice things about going through textual uh, uh, criticism is the fact yeah. that uh, we can improve it's there. And, yep. and Cliff, there are more points coming up to do with the tomb too. So, um, eleven. Um, the the early Christians met on the first day of the week and not on mm-hmm. the Jewish Sabbath. Mm-hmm. Something mm-hmm. about the Sabbath was significant to the first Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, Twelve. <laughs> what was that? Sorry. Yep. Sorry. <laughs> that was Constantine's fault. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> he, he went. He went back in time and changed mm. everybody's thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a time traveler. Uh-huh. Oh, <laughs> well, the early Christian church had a highly exalted view of Jesus, as we should have to this day. Mm. Thirteen, the early Christians were willing to die for their faith, as some of our brothers and sisters are to this day. Fourteen, there was no attempt to venerate Jesus' tomb, the tomb of Jesus. So. That's another point about the tomb. Now, here comes a really good one for you, Cliff. Point 15. Jewish apologetics claimed that the disciples stole the body. So Jewish Mm. critics agree that the tomb was identifiable and empty. Empty, Ah. yeah. Yep. Hmm. Aha. So there there you go. And and that goes towards proving the point. Hmm. Exactly. Hmm. Point 16. The early church grew in a Hellenistic context that would have been hostile to the idea of bodily resurrection. Gentile philosophers wanted to escape the confines of the body. They didn't want to be trapped in their bodies forever. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Oh, yeah. Well, the body body was a burden. And and not only that, uh, their vision of the afterlife was that you you didn't come back to Earth. You you went to the Elysian Fields or you went to some form of punishment. Mm. So that was actually contrary to anything that they were going to learn elsewhere. But yeah, you have you have the Platonic ideals that, that were very prevalent, and that a lot of the points of Gnosticism came from that. That the body was dirty and vile and everything else. We wouldn't have a resurrected body. Yes, we would come back as shades, and that would be it. Mm. So this this was all counter to the logic of the time. Uh, both Jew and Greek. Mm. Uh, it's it's fascinating. Wow! Right, because point seventeen, <laughs> it is unlikely yeah. that the later church invented the story of the empty tomb. So let's not blame Constantine. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. Bodily resurrection would mainly have impressed Palestinian Jews and not later Hellenistic Christians, mm. who struggled with the idea that they would have resurrection bodies too. So the preaching of a resurrection could only have started with the first Jewish Christians in Palestine. Mm. Mm-hmm. The Jews would have other problems. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. The manner in which he came back. <laughs> they, they weren't expecting that at all. Right. Although the, the, the logic was there, it's just that they didn't accept it until later. And uh, even now, some of the Jews still have some pretty big problems with uh, the story as we tell it. So to our final point, point 18, 
it is highly unlikely that the disciples stole Jesus' body to keep Jesus' movement going. If they wanted to venerate Jesus' memory, mm -hmm. they could have just said that they had visions of Jesus' spirit or angel. Exactly. Nobody expected what happened. The, the, the only thing would have been that since they couldn't find the body, that the, the apostles would have to have to come to some other conclusion. You know that 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 he he lived. Right. They wouldn't understand it, but they would have been figured it out. They would have figured out that he was alive, and that they would hope to hear from him. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's where where his appearance in the upper room becomes so important. Is that he appeared before uh, all of them, and then, except for Thomas. And then Thomas is like, well, I'll stick my finger in his in holes of his hand and shove my hand in his side. And then he ends up meeting him, and, he, he, of course, uh, <laughs> very shamed uh, by the whole thing. But uh, look where he went. He went to the furthest sense of the earth to die. And there was a book uh, called Who Moved the Stone? And it was written by a lawyer. Uh, and he, he looked at a number of points. And the point that really always got me was was the, the one about the uh, the apostles. That, you know, here you got a bunch of guys, you know, that uh, they, they, you know, they, they witnessed what they witnessed. And and if they, if they didn't witness it, why would they die for it? But not only would they, why would they die for it, but why would they go to such far distances and die alone. You know, it, they were far enough away from each other to where if they really didn't do it, that they could have gone to you know, the point where they're, they're like, okay, deny Christ or die. And instead of dying, they could have said, well, you know, you put it that way. You know, it was all a big joke. You know, uh, you serious, you're gonna let me go? Okay, I'll see you guys later, right? Because nobody would have known. However, they did do it, and they did die. And the church grew, and the word got back that that one was killed. That's, that's, that's a remarkable thing. I agree. I think to me that's, that's the clincher. So to finish off with these 18 points, it says here, some explanation of these facts is sought and it seems that the only adequate explanation is that God raised Jesus from the dead. Mm -hmm. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Because, Amen. as you said earlier, if he didn't, we'd be lost. We'd have nothing. Right. So what I'll do is we'll, we'll, put that, we'll put that article in our, our show notes. I encourage people to go and read it because there's a bit more explanation in the article and there's some more comments and commentary beneath that it's not just uh, uh, about those 18 points but we thought we'd use those just to finish our show on but that is a very good article to go and read mm. um, what is yeah. the case for the resurrection saints and skeptics dot org excellent yeah. cool so is that it? yes I think we'll leave it there like I said earlier we didn't intend to make this an Easter sermon this is more or less flakes and some free flow conversation mm -hmm. But uh, I've really enjoyed that, and uh, and I hope our audience does as well. If you do have any comments, questions, or suggestions, you can write to us and tell us what you think. We're happy to discuss anything that we've said, provided it's done in a 
uh, respectful manner because there will be some things that we have said here that not all of you will agree with. But we'll leave it there for now. And if you'll permit me, I'll just say Happy Easter and God bless. And Christos Anesti, have a lovely uh, weekend and a very blessed Easter. I'm going to have a barbie. And you're going to have a barbie. <laughs> Up it also. Yeah, there we go. Right, right yeah, now, I'm going to have a barbie with my family. Yeah. We're going to have a, a wood-fired barbie and celebrate Easter that way. Yeah, you want to come yeah. to a bride cruise? I'll be there in 15 minutes. I can swim really fast. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> can I say my bye-bye in a form of a Bible verse? Sure, please. And I'll leave you guys on this verse. Romans 8 verse 10 uh, But if Christ is in you Then even though your body is subject to death Because of sin The spirit gives life because of righteousness And if the spirit of him Who raised Jesus from the dead Is living in you He who raised Christ from the dead Will also give life to your mortal bodies Because of the spirit who lives in you And Amen. that's Like they would say in Amen. Afrikaans Flight, flight, my story is 8 See you <laughs> Bye Enjoy Bye God bless. Thank you for joining us. We hope you've enjoyed our show. You can find us on the web at www.lightflintradio.com. If you'd like to contact us, you can email us at mail at lightflintradio.com. That's M-A-I-L at lightflintradio.com. A Yeah, no, look, I am half asleep. <laughs> Believe it. Believe it or not, Anne, I am actually singing, singing in my sleep. Okay? So that's <laughs> It's an improvement. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So much. I'm, I'm there. Yeah. I've got the gift of encouragement and upliftment. And what can I say? <laughs>